I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. My guest this week is Tanya Taylor, founder, creative director, and CEO of the independent New York-based fashion label by the same name, which you may very well have spotted at retailers from Saks to Bergdorf, Neiman Marcus, and Nordstrom, or on celebrities, including Lady Gaga, Michelle Obama, Beyonce, and more. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Tanya Taylor, who hums from Toronto, launched her brand in 2012 after graduating from the Parsons School of Design. At the time, the line was described as the fashion girl's answer to Lily Pulitzer. In 2017, the brand started offering sizes up to a 22 and still focuses on size inclusivity to this day. Tanya Taylor quickly became a fashion editor's favorite and celebrity buy and followed. If you ever wondered what it takes to start a fashion house from scratch and what it takes to keep it going and growing in a highly competitive and ever-changing market, you'll definitely enjoy hearing Tanya's journey. Here's my conversation with the one and only Tanya Taylor. Tanya, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female. I'm glad you could be here with me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, I typically start these conversations by getting to the origin story of your journey. Uh, so I want to ask you, as a young girl growing up, what did you imagine you'd be doing as a career later in life? Well, I think I had no idea there could be a career in fashion. So that was not on my radar. Um, I grew up in Toronto and I loved art and I loved business, but I had no idea you could find something that combined both. Um, I wanted to be a lawyer. I took the LSAT. I thought I would go to law school. Um, I weirdly also wanted to be a dentist. I wanted to, uh, there's, there's a variety of professions. I think I love people. So probably professions where I could really, um, help people or be with people was what guided me when I was younger. Mm. And tell me, you've mentioned wanting to be a lawyer, taking the asset. Was, you know, what, what kind of studies did you pursue and, and what was the goal with what you were studying in? Yeah. So I started um, by studying finance at McGill University and I went to school in Toronto. I grew up in Toronto. Then I decided to move to Montreal for McGill. And when I was there, it was a great foundation of four years in the undergraduate program that gave me kind of hard skills of accounting and business plan writing. I also took a lot of liberal arts um, courses when I was there just to broaden my kind of understanding of history in the world. But I I got an itch when I was there to apply to design for the local fashion show. And it was so funny because I didn't, I had never sewn anything And my grandmother was an incredible seamstress. My mom was an incredible seamstress. So I grew up understanding how they made their own clothes, but I never really um, had the skill. And so I applied to this fashion show to design six dresses for um, like a spring runway. And no one asked me if I knew how to make dresses. So that was good. (laughs) They didn't ask me because I bought myself about four months 
of learning. And I went to Canadian Tire, bought a very inexpensive sewing machine that I realized doesn't even have like a backstop um, <laughs> sewing function. And I sat in my room and just figured things out. And really to just the bare level of a girl being able to walk down a runway and wear it. And I put Velcro to closed dresses. It was, it was definitely pretty pitiful when I look back at the construction, but it is what inspired me to move to New York and go to Parsons. Um, I knew at that point that I had, you know, a really nice sense of learning um, business at McGill, but that I needed to fill in some curiosity I had around arts. And Parsons was a really great place that I liked this. I, I love as a school because it does have a kind of um, a foundation that teaches students what it's like to work in the industry and what it's also like to stay creative. And I think that balanced approach allows you to feel like when you graduate, you can really find a job and understand what it it looks like to work in fashion. Mm. So by that point, did you realize one could have a career in fashion, that it was possible to make a business out of it? Yeah. So my whole family was entrepreneurial when I grew up. Like my mom had her own business, my grandfather, my aunts, like everyone in my family around the dinner table would just talk about building something they believed in, the people they got to work with that they believed in. And so I always knew what it felt like to have an itch to create mm -hmm. something. And it wasn't until, yeah, I was in New York and I started working for Mary-Kate and Ashley Olson. And they were my age um, as well. So I started working for them when I was 22. And they were designing for someone their own age. And I think that's when it kind of clicked to me that they were businesswomen, but also creative. And they were approaching building a business through a very personal kind of instinctual approach mm -hmm. that... Um, that inspired me to think I could really do that too. So I worked for them for three years and eventually branched out to start my own company that definitely felt very personal. And I think the approach I took was through painting a lot of our prints and creating a lot of really unique original art stories within our collections, but also knowing what I felt like when I moved to New York and didn't know anyone wanting to build a brand that was really approachable and that felt it could be inspiring and inviting to people that might not deem themselves as, you know, fashion girls mm -hmm. was important to me. And I think that just comes from personal experience of growing up and not being a fashion girl, so to say, but loving it. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make collections and clothes and a brand that, you know, included people that just love expressing themselves through art and fashion. Mm. Were there role models you've, you've worked for Mary-Kate and Ashley and they, uh, from, from what you just explained, they were a source of inspiration and kind of making you realize what was possible um, for somebody your own age and designing clothes for somebody your own age as well and being on the creative side, on the business side, but who were kind of source of inspiration or role models in the industry or outside the industry? Well, my mom was my biggest role model. She mm -hmm. ran a public Canadian company And she also was very creative. So I saw her, you know, build a important business 
but then come home and help me paint all over the walls of our basement and do paper mache. Mm-hmm. So the, the, kind of the duality of like what she embodied is definitely what I pursue. And she was an incredible mom. Um, so, and I have two children. So I think I really do constantly reflect on how she balanced and managed all those important parts of life. Um, and then within the industry, I think I've had at the beginning of my career, I had a really great opportunity to be part of the CFDA Vogue fashion fund. And it was this pretty intense experience at six months. And it's for brands that are under two years old to get mentorship from 10 judges. And these judges are incredibly intimidating. You know, it's Anna Wintour and Diane von Furstenberg and Jenna Lyons and Andrew Rosen and such. And I really have kept in touch with most of them to continue to be great sources of advice. And so I, I think that was such a crash course at the beginning of starting the brand when I didn't grow up in the city or know people to really be able to put myself out there and build confidence and kind of go through a high level of scrutiny very early on that developed a sense of self and allowed me to see like a nice trusting relationship with a lot of, you know, leaders in the industry. Mm. Were you scared at all when you started the business? And obviously, you know, there was kind of two sides to it. You were creating collections, you know, being the, 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 the creative lead with the vision, but then having to kind of learn, you know, on the go, the, just the, the, the basics of running a company. And I'm assuming your background, you know, having studied in finance came in handy at that point, but yeah. was that kind of a big, you know, overtaking at the time? It was, it still is. It's, you know, every phase of this business has been a learning curve. It's a mixture of a team growing. So now we are, you know, 40 people and it's been a learning curve when there was two people that prepared me to feel like what I could do when it was six and 20 and 40. And, um, I wear my heart on my sleeve. So I think that just generally running a business is, tough when you are a sensitive, creative person. Um, so I think I've had to find ways to protect creativity or just protect kind of, um, confidence Mm -hmm. in moments that are just hard business moments. And COVID obviously is a really tough business moment. So, um, definitely, I mean, I've grown up with this brand. It, I started Mm -hmm. it when I was 25, 26 and, it's 10 years old now. And it's a, it's my kind of childhood to adulthood progression as mm-hmm. well. And so I think that it's so interesting to, to just mature as a human at the same time as you're maturing a company Yeah, and you make so many mistakes, but it's okay because I think I've really tried to just stay, I've tried to stay kind through the entire experience and mm-hmm. I think communication has been the most important tool to just explain your, um, your expectations and your frustrations and building a team where they understand you and you understand them is kind of where we've gotten to in 10 years. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a really nice kind of result. Mm-hmm. Tell me about uh, kind of, you know, the, the funding for, for your company, I think for a lot of young, 
designers or anyone who's really imagining, you know, being at the helm of a, a fashion house, that can be a very scary prospect, you know, before you've lined up customers and accounts and yeah. um, there's, you know, no, not, no money coming from sales yet. So did you rely on support from, you know, family and friends and as growth continued, what was kind of your model? Yeah. I mean, I'm still, it's, we started with family and friends and that's the way I like to keep things really kind of private and feel like I have ownership of what we're building. Um, we've been lucky enough to be able to continue that. And I think when I look at how young designers can start businesses, there's, there's just a, there's where you spend investment at the beginning is really important. And right. I feel like it's spend your time on product and a connection to a customer before you spend money on marketing or, you know, really, really storytelling. Because if you don't have the fit and the quality of your product really, um, you know, perfect, then you're going to lose the customer and there's no point in marketing. So mm -hmm. I think how I started was slow. Like I look back at the first three or four years of the business and I, I never had more than four people working for me. Mm -hmm. And so that was really conscious because one, we couldn't afford to, and it was, it was, we, we didn't, we couldn't bite off more than we could chew with four people. So you just naturally with that many people kind of, grew the company responsibly based on that workload. Um, and I love those times. Like I look back and I felt more creative than ever. I felt um, really powerful. And so I think when people start companies, they can do it by themselves. They can do it with freelance. They can do it with great interns that want to learn, but start as small as you can mm -hmm. and be as focused as you can, because it's really it's really not worth, you know, overspending at the beginning. Right. Right. Um, what would you say were kind of your biggest learnings the first few years of being in business? I'm sure there's constant learnings as you continue evolving, but you know, what were those lessons early on that you remember? I think when you're an entrepreneur, your job never ends and you are on your mind is on all the time. But then also if you have your own office, you're literally there all the time. And I, I just remember having fittings at 11 PM and thinking it was really reasonable and like early. I had the energy to do it. I was newly married. Um, and I just was in love with what I was doing. So mm -hmm. I think my learning is to still find boundaries in, you know, like let yourself know when you can be fully absorbed and creative and excited about your work, but also just find boundaries that it doesn't take over your entire life, which is just hard not to, because it's usually, you know, your baby. Um, and then I think I felt really vulnerable to criticism at the beginning. I think it was really hard being in an industry that is based on what's new and shiny. Yeah. And I only started really getting my footing in what I wanted to be, you know, five, six years in. And so it was hard to be, 
improving what I was making at a time that was different than when people started to see the brand. And I needed to just stick with it. And I have, I think I, I feel like I've still feel so inspired kind of hosting amazing events with customers. We're opening our first store this year. Uh, the team has grown. So I've just had to remind myself what, where to find motivation and it's not external anymore. It feels like it's much more internal. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. Was there a point, kind of a turning point, and this is a subject, you know, I tackle with entrepreneurs from all background. Often we seem, you know, women put the bar very high for themselves and yeah. we often have imposter syndrome and it feels like we're doing something, but until somebody finds out that we're not actually, you know, equipped yeah. to do it. Um, was there a turning point when you realize, oh, okay, this business is actually going to work and, you know, I'm a real designer with a fashion house? Um, there has, I, I still struggle with that, to be really honest. Um, I think there has been times where I have had pinch me moments where I truly feel proud. And they're usually when we are able to dress someone that I think is remarkable. Mm -hmm. Um, so Michelle Obama was someone that we really felt excited to dress many times and she just was perfect for us. Um, Mm -hmm. she brought a lot of customers that saw our brand as being like optimistic and ageless and classic. Um, and she just wore us with such joy, which was kind of the greatest thing. Like my favorite thing is when I see a woman wearing us and she just feels happy. Mm. And so that those moments made me feel like, wow, I I'm talented. There are a million moments around those highs that are so tough. And I think still it's, it's just not an industry that's built to make you feel ever settled. Like you're, you're never finished. You're always on to the next season. You know, we deliver 10 collections a year. And I think I have to remember, I have to really keep a good process of understanding the wins to feel like I am not an imposter and Mm. I also surround myself with really great women. Like I have awesome friends. And when Mm. I hang out with them, like last night I went to this event and I actually, as of yesterday afternoon, had no idea who was going. And then within 20 minutes of going had like five of my closest friends that also, we just had never talked, but we were all there. And it was so reassuring that I've built a community and that Mm -hmm. I like enjoy learning from other people. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not even like how much our set our clothes sell, but it's like how much 
this job has given me an opportunity to connect with people. Mm, I love that. Um, what kind of, and you've mentioned, you know, close friends and, and, and supporters in, in your circle. Um, you've mentioned amazing clients also who choose to wear the brand, but what kind of support network did you build around you? What are kind of those trusted advisors that, you know, you realize you were going to need in order to be successful? Yeah, I think someone gave me advice when I first started that always know who's good to ask for what questions. Like if you have a Mm -hmm. guru for real estate, ask them about real estate and don't ask them about HR. (laughs) Um, And then you have a guru for HR. So I feel like I've kind of collected some really great advisors that have allowed me to pick their brains and they've been really forthcoming with great advice throughout um, the last 10 years. And some of them are my cheerleaders and I don't ask any questions about business and they are just so positive and I just need them in my life. And other ones I am literally sending our PL to and saying like, does right. this make sense? So I, I think there's been a, I think I've had to um, create a sense of vulnerability around what I share with people, which is not really, it's not natural in my personality. I'm my best friend always says that I'm like a melon where I'm a little bit like hard on the outside. And then like, (laughs) once you actually open me up, I, I have, I have a sweetness and a mushiness, but Uh when it's come to running my company, I've always felt that success was defined by being stoic and being Mm. successful and almost polished. Right. And it's been hard for me to take down some of that like preconception to allow myself to have problems and Mm -hmm. ask help on them. Yeah. And once I've done that, I've really realized everyone's willing to give help. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I think when we realize that and that the door is open, it's kind of a game changer and people, people are willing to help when you ask for it. Yeah. They've gone through it. They don't want anyone else to there. There's a lot of kind of, you know, leave the door open behind you mentality. And the, the fashion industry is known to be pretty cutthroat and highly competitive. And, you know, every season you've mentioned the kind of the, the pace that, you know, new collections come out at, and you're basically kind of vying for customer's attention. And, um, do you, you know, do you try to be supportive of other women designers? Is there a kind of a community yeah. of women in fashion? And is, is that changing? Cause you know, we know it, it, it used to be so competitive women, uh, you know, among themselves, especially uh, what are you seeing in the industry now? And what are you trying to do? I don't think that it's dissimilar from any industry that for some reason, when there's less positions for women to be leaders, that there feels like there's more competition. I see that in tech. I see that in venture capitals, like investors. Like it just feels like that is kind of um, the history. I think in fashion, there's a lot of camaraderie. There is there, especially around the pandemic, when everyone was in panic mode, there was a really quick um, onset of, community and how we could share information around retailers and payment and, you know, government help. So I, I jumped right into that and I wanted to be able to work with people and learn from them as well. Um, so I, I love the women in the industry and it's, 
the biggest joy is being able to, when I'm, you know, social or running around in the industry that I have my friends that are also building things and are at these events. Mm -hmm. Um, I think just the conversation around women and leadership has become such a focus in all of media in the last couple of years that it's benefited female entrepreneurs who are, you know, looking at how they fit in, in different industries. Mm -hmm. Um, what kind of responsibility do you feel, you know, as a, as a, you know, the, the name literally on the label and, you know, being at the helm of your company, what does leadership mean to you personally? I think I feel a, I feel a great sense of leadership in maybe three ways. I feel internally a sense of being a trustworthy and um, open and fair leader to my team. Um, I really like to create a lot of transparency, open dialogue, share with them when times are tough versus when times are good so that no one feels unclear. Um, and then I, I think to our customer, same responsibility of leadership and storytelling around where we produce, what our choices are, um, why we think, you know, why we spend so much time on fitting on different sizes and how that is really important to them, you know, knowing we respect different body types. Um, and then I feel a big responsibility to the younger students and even younger designers. Like I do a lot of mentoring and even yesterday we had the New York times, um, does this kind of, um, semester Academy where they have students from all around the world come and they came to our office and we had, you know, 30 of them. I walked them through the brand history. They all ask a lot of questions. I, I just feel like my job is to share what I've learned and help mm -hmm. others troubleshoot some of the, you know, things they're thinking about if they want to start something. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned, you know, body diversity, body inclusivity. Um, there's been talks about how, and uh, you know, I think the, the commentary came as a result of recent fashion weeks, New York, Paris with, you know, it was such a focus over the past two years and we were starting to see a shift and some are saying we've gone backwards and it's, you know, almost, uh, it was almost absent in, in latest yeah. season presentations. Uh, so it's, it's, it seems to be a commitment for you to something that you continue to be, you know, engaged with. Um, why do you think it's still so relevant today? Well, I think there are women of all different sizes in the world and that it is not a, world that should promote any certain body image as being more important than others. Mm -hmm. um, I started producing up to a size 22 almost six years ago Amazing. and it was way before anyone was talking about it. And there was no one who had a guidebook of how to do it. And right. we figured it out. Like I remember interviewing fit models. And when we say what a size 18 fit model, where do you fit? there was no clothing designers they fit for. They, they fit for mm. maybe athletic wear and swimwear. And so mm. it was a risk to hire people that had never really done this before. And also to convince your retailers that they should sell it. 
and that there is not a reason that two girlfriends that are different sizes should shop on different floors. Mm. So we, we like that is just, it's totally crazy if you think about that. And so we, um, you know, I was just really clear that that wasn't fair. And that was something I wanted to put resources and time to fix. And we do, we have an incredible fit and loyal customer on all of what we call extended sizing. But I think what's most important to me is that we don't treat it like it's separate and that there is a continuity of on our e-com. Sometimes it's size four, sometimes it's a size eight, sometimes it's a size 18. Mm -hmm. Like there is a flexibility of just seeing different bodies versus I'm in or I'm out. And it's, you know, some brands just only define themselves by a six foot tall, size zero, very young model. And I think what we do is a mix of everything. Like we cast just a range and it's really about who inspires us. And we try to be as, you know, representative to different body types as possible. Mm. How do you plan growth? And, you know, your business is roughly 10 years old now and you've, you know, reached a lot of milestones. Um, You know, how do you strategize for what's next? What's kind of a goal that you have for where you want to take the brand to? I'm very excited about retail. Um, I see a lot of growth in our ability to gain more customers and know them more closely and then Mm -hmm. sell more directly to them. So um, right now, our next three years is really around a retail footprint that grows, um, you know. And and by that, you mean opening your own stores, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like we we sell to about 100 specialty stores and then all of the major department stores in the United States. And that's given us a really great base of understanding what the brand feels like in Texas versus Florida versus New York, California, um, or Canada. And it's, it's taught us a lot. And then it's allowed us to kind of see where we might be able to have like special experiences for the brand to have their own stores and for us to be able to bring something special to a new market. So New York is our first spot. Um, so we're opening in August on Madison and 77th. And thank you. Yes. I'm so excited. It is on my mind every day. It's been (laughs) just such a inspiring focus because I think what's hard about this industry also is there is a filter between your creative vision and how you reach the customer unless Mm. you have your own store. And in my store, I want to have products from other brands I admire I want to create and paint all the art. I want to show a sense of interior design that's inspiring. And I want to create a world where people really get what we're doing versus it being subject to, you know, a couple racks in a wonderful store. And so there's just, I think it's going to open up a different impression of how we create and how um, unique it is. And so that that's kind of where I see growth. I think the more mm. people feel emotionally attached to us and have access to us, the more I think we can really grow. 
Right, right. Well, that's that's very exciting. Congratulations on, on that next big step. And in closing, I want to know what would be your top advice and with the two, you know, pieces of advice that you'd give uh, women considering starting, you know, their own company in, in the fashion industry. Um, well, I think it kind of goes back to some of your original questions. Like I would give advice to find mentors and find mm -hmm. examples of people that you would define as successful because there's so many versions of success in this industry. You know, you could be, you could be a version that is, you know, super, super hardworking and never leaves the office. You could be a version that has a balanced lifestyle and a smaller brand, like, figure out kind of what, what you want in your life and then find people that embody that and ask them all the questions of how they got there. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the number one thing is just to know what you offer that's different because right. having more things in the world yeah. doesn't like cracking the formula of how to make clothing is not what drives success. Yeah. Finding white space in the market that only you can think of and only you have a creative vision for is what creates success. So make sure you are bold enough or focused enough in your creative output mm -hmm. so that you can exist and that people understand why they need you. Right. Right. Are you still doing fittings at 11 PM at night? <laughs> oh 10 God. years in? Well, I'm still doing a lot of emails at 11 p.m., but I am no, no, because I would never make my team work till 11 p.m. like I used to. We are nice. We leave on time and everyone has a normal life outside of work. So I love it. Well, and it's probably inspiring you to make sure you have yes. life outside of work as well. Absolutely. I want, it brings me happiness. There's like, I've always said that my favorite kind of person to hire is someone who has really great hobbies because yeah. they bring their learnings and their curiosity and excitement from their outside life into their work. And it just makes for a more interesting person. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I like to make sure that everyone has time for those hobbies. Mm, yeah, that's important. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for speaking with me. It was great hearing about your journey and uh, we'll you. look out for those, all those new as stores with your name and in, in bright letters. So looking well, forward thank to that. You so much. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.